You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 323 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Where I live, winter means cold and snow and darkness. And the cold and the snow has not arrived yet, but the darkness has. In this episode, my guest is Jeremy Vaney author of Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure, and host of Dreamland with Whitley Strieber and Our Undoing Radio. We will be discussing, amongst many things, Hawaii, enlightenment, spirituality, dreams, and aliens. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Jeremy Vaney. Um, I am what people call an experiencer or experiencer of high strangeness, which I have uh, taken a lifetime of um, what I used to think was alien abduction experiences, um, but now I sort of see that that's not what's going on. Uh, Taken that and put it into books and into podcasting, so... My latest book is Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure, and um, I guess I'm best known for either the Experience podcast on unknowncountry.com or Peritopia with um, my now deceased co-host Jeff Ritzman. Um, but also for Unknown Country, I'm now uh, doing the main show, Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. Once a month, it's uh, Dreamland with me. So... I'm still sort of there doing <laughs> this stuff, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also trying not to limit myself to that because I think ultimately the high strangeness stuff is not as important as, um, other things that have, uh, revealed themselves to be, I guess, a more important, more important and, a a context through which to look at this as opposed to aliens. And I'm talking about um, quote unquote, spiritual stuff like Kundalini, like, um, shattering this, the ego, the sense of self, which I think ultimately the high strangeness, um, experiences lead to, if you see it that way, if you allow it. Um, so, uh, it's a smorgasbord of stuff. It's a potpourri of, of, uh, strangeness that I'm trying to, I guess, um, uh, bring to the world uh, in, in my own little way, um, to be able to articulate it well, I guess that's my goal is to just be able to articulate all of this stuff. Well, for those who actually care about, um, more than just the entertainment value of such subjects. So you don't uh, belong to the, like uh, flying saucer, uh, uh, theories of, of uh, UFOs. Uh, it's more like, uh, spiritual aspects of it. Well, I mean, as far as the UFO stuff goes, it's more, I mean, I think it actually has more in a weird way, more in line with probably what you talk about in the occult, but also, uh, ultimately, um, I mean, ultimately it's, it's an unknown, right. And it may be an unknowable, what this stuff is and an unknowable is more like a Zen cone. You know, it's more something that is in your life, forcing you to deal with something impossible and in 
authentically dealing with that and not going crazy trying to answer it, um, it it reveals you. <laughs> it brings brings you to you uh, ultimately. So whether there are beings or not who are from another planet or another dimension, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna hazard a guess that that's at least partly the goal here is to wake us up to our full human selves. And essentially, I mean, you know, they can't, why would they communicate with us if we're not equals? Let's put it that way. Uh, This isn't about cosmic NAFTA and GATT and treaties and space exploration and Star Trek technology. I mean, that stuff is so surface shallow. Just, just, I mean, thinking about it in like our own terms, there's so much more to life than that. And yet that's the box that we want to put these phenomena into or ghosts or, you know, uh, some sort of cryptid animal that is that we can discover through science. All of this idea that we can rationalize and discover through science is um, the, uh, you know, the religion of our age, essentially, and not much more. And But there is much more to us. And so perhaps if there's an intelligence that is trying to communicate with us, they're trying to get us to see that. I had a synchronicity right before we started this where somebody I know, for some reason, I don't know why it came up, but I found out that he had not seen that film Contact. So I told him, watch Contact. And he said, I don't like UFO movies. It's not really a UFO movie. But in that film, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's all about that, you know, like the guy who believes in God uh, and prove it, you know, he can't. And then when she, Jodie Foster character goes to another dimension, meets aliens, you know, she can't prove it either because she's a scientist, you know, even though she's a scientist. Uh, I always saw that as the whole thing about that movie. It's about uh, uh, you can't really prove direct experience. Yeah, and it's interesting too because in that movie, you know, the that whatever the other intelligence is takes on the guy's of someone she knows and relates to. So there's this idea of, we need to be able to relate to you. So we're going to, I can't remember. Was it her father or something? I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, but so it was somebody that she could relate to. And I think, I think it's even deeper than that. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but the thing, the idea that I'm toying with now is that, uh, whatever this presence is, is coexists with us in a configuration of dimensions to which we are attached. So in other words, let's say string theory is right. And we have like nine levels of dimension. Well, if we're only allowed access to three of them uh, and the rest are just hypothetical, are there beings who live in those dimensions or which are also us because those dimensions are also us, whether they're invisible to us or not or in some other configuration of the nine dimensions, you know? So essentially, are they attached to us at the hip? Are they like conjoined twins in another dimension? And if so, are they aware of that? And we're not. And so to wake us up into that is essentially waking themselves up. They know that we are aspects of them and they are aspects of us. But at the moment, we would be like their unconscious baggage. And so they have to uh, wake us up uh, to our whole sense of self, which includes them that's just an you know the thing that makes the most sense to me at the moment so uh, when you mentioned you were an experiencer what did you mean by that um i mean that i've had what uh you might consider to be alien abduction experiences 
until you really look at it. <laughs> like I think for everyone, I don't think there's such a thing as alien abduction. I think that is the cultural guys. That's the Jodie Foster's dad coming to her scene. You know, this is something we can understand in our technological forward thinking age. Um, but if you look at it, it's, it's such a, for not just me, for any experiencer I've ever really known, uh, it's a lifetime of weird events. And now people like to contextualize it and say like, well, alien abductees are actually shaman, but I don't think that quite gets to it either. I, I think it, it is just a lifetime of experiences that, that some of which smack of classic alien abduction. And, um, but all of them are a facade, uh, and underneath they're speaking to us on another level, you know, symbolically, basically. I don't know if you know this quote by Terence McKenna. He goes uh, that the, the felt presence of immediate experience is all all you know and everything else is unconfirmed rumor. Uh, I always uh, liked uh, or tried to at least to live my life uh, only accepting like direct experience. So in, in, it might sound ridiculous, but you know, I don't know if China exists un- until I've I've gone there, you know. Uh, so I try to not like, because it's very. I've had many experiences where you know, like you might see something through the media, and then when I actually go to that place I just saw in the media, the representation is never really accurate, you know. So it's, it can always change and shift. So uh, I decided that. I, I'll just see everything as a rumor until I have a direct experience, you know. But of course, you can't be. I mean, uh, uh, if there's a comet coming, I, I, I'll uh, I'll prepare for it. I'm not going to say uh, it's not here until it's here, you know. But uh, you know, like in a in a loose sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree with that in a certain sense. Um, like, so I now I used to live in New York uh, in America, and now I live in Hawaii, and you know, there's, there's nothing touristy that I would ever want to do in Hawaii. I want to know the truth of Hawaii. So the media image of Hawaii is the tourist trap. It's all the shallow surface stuff and it's all the, uh, you know, white patriarchal Christianized propaganda about Hawaii and there will be elements of truth to it, but ultimately there's a deeper Hawaii. And that's the thing that I would want to know. And that would be anywhere I go, you know, China, anywhere, you know, obviously there's a place that exists that we call China, (laughs) just like there's a comet coming, you know, if there's a comet coming. Uh, But I I wouldn't take the media's word for what their lives are like, what their history is, what it means to be Chinese, you know, uh, none of that. So I agree with you on, on that level, certainly. Yeah, Hawaii is interesting. It's it's a, it's a place uh, that uh, seems very attractive. It's like, uh, especially if you have, if if you're a bit like me, a hermit in a sense, you feel like, don't you feel like you're cut off from the rest of the world? It's like, I mean, it's not easy to get out of there, you know. It's like, uh, even though it's famous, it's still, it's like a forgotten place, you know, like uh, compared to all the other things going on in the world. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing too, because a lot of people, uh, come here, you know, either to be hermits or to, for the sense of like freedom, uh, and all of that. And yet, and so it creates this, that plus tourism creates a transient culture. Uh, and yet the Hawaiian cultures on down the line, uh, 
are all family oriented and inclusive and long term. So it actually creates a friction where like the place itself, the in you know, quote unquote indigenous culture itself wants to be family oriented and inclusive and relate and have, you know, big gatherings and that sort of thing. And the, yet the people who come here want to be solitary creatures a lot of the time. Um, but what you find out, you know, beneath all of that is that, yes, Hawaii is attractive to a lot of different people. But the first thing Hawaii does is make you deal with yourself. I'm not unlike this alien thing I've been talking about. I mean, it's very similar. Like you deal with your issues. Uh, you think you're going to escape your baggage by coming here and you can't. And so you either deal with it or there's a saying that Hawaii kicks you out. And you see this time and time again. Yeah, I guess it, it would be different if there was, if there weren't any airplanes, you know, then it would be more difficult to be transient, I guess. Um, but uh, how does it uh, uh, feel to be also at the mercy of, of nature living there? Huh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, I'm, I live on Mauna Loa, which has been in the news lately because it may be getting ready to explode. Um and it may or may not, but there is that fear. And it's interesting, again, you see the way Hawaiians deal with nature with that type of explosiveness is to clean up their house, open their doors and windows and invite Pele in, who's the the volcano goddess. That's what they do. And what we do is cower in fear, try to gather up all of our belongings and save ourselves and our belongings, you know, like (laughs) run, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's such a different mentality Um, and I, I have to admit, I mean, I do have that fear of, right, we're gambling by living on this, on this volcano because it could, lava could go down either way. And as opposed to Kilauea, which is perpetually, uh, exploding, quote unquote, I mean, it trickles out lava. The lava on Mauna Loa will come as a roaring river and will be dead. Like that's it, you know? (laughs) So it does force you to live with death, which is something that, uh, at least in this country, we don't do. We do everything to block out death, not embrace it. So there's that there's that level. But I learned so much from nature here. You know, I mean, I feel like I've been duped by not just the media, but, you know, my own, I don't know if it's parents, but certainly um, East Coast living in a city uh, where you think like animals are just animals. And, you know, we're supposed to be bigger than animals and smarter and all that. And it's like, no, actually, uh, the fish in the sea are more cognizant than we are in certain senses. Like you hang out with different animals and they are usually accepting and allow you to. Um, You learn a lot. You learn a lot about like just how alive and intelligent everyone here is, you know, so it's no longer they're an animal and I'm a person, that's an it, and I'm a person. We're all people on some level, you know? Yeah, it makes sense to clean your house and invite it in because if it if the lava comes that way, you're you're dead anyway. So it doesn't really you can't really protect yourself from it. So you might as well accept it. Uh, but yeah, uh, modern medicine has always made us want to escape death, uh, which we, we can't, you know. But uh, I always felt that because I've uh, I'm very interested in indigenous cultures, but <clears throat> I don't know much about the indigenous cultures of Hawaii. Um, are they uh, still uh, 
fairly intact or have they become like gentrified? Um, a little of one, a little of two. It seems that even those who are intact have been Christianized to an extent, but that Hawaiians in Hawaiian culture, they would allow for Jesus or something like that. You know, they could add that on to their pantheon of uh, deities and spirits and stuff. No problem. Um, so you can, I think, still be Christianized to a degree and, and what they call cultural practitioner. I don't like that term, but people use it. So, um, but you know, they're in an interesting position in that they embraced the West, um, to some degree early on, which kept them from being completely destroyed in the way that other civilizations have or enslaved or any of that. Um, and yet we still <laughs> managed to find a way to imprison their queen and steal Hawaii from them. Like that didn't stop us from, from doing that part of the program, but there is. And so, and with that, make their language illegal, make it illegal to dance and express yourself. Um, because you've got to learn the Bible and that's it. Right. Like that was the early on stuff. And there has been a push in recent decades um, against that. and and. Yeah, they've been able to uh, take back their sovereignty in a certain sense, and I think it will lead be going more in that direction. I think in the future, many indigenous cultures usually embrace uh, the Virgin Mary more than Jesus. Is it the same there, or because they usually have like a goddess more than a male? God, that's such a great. I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, if that's true. I would say no, and yet I've met the most like white old women who claim to be channeling Mary, Mother Mary here than I would ever have expected or have met anywhere else. I've never met anyone, but I've met multiple people here who are white women, who are old, <laughs> who claim to be channeling Mary, and yet I think uh, I don't really hear about Mary much from uh, from any... Hawaiian Christianized Hawaiian people it, it is all Jesus that I hear about if I hear anything I mean so uh, when you uh, uh, decided to leave New York and go to Hawaii was it uh, just to change the scenery or were, did you feel drawn towards it no I felt drawn here for sure like I uh, originally I had been funny enough I had been invited out here by uh, Ted Rowe who uh, at the time I guess he still sort of does work for NARCAP, which is a UFO organization um, to swim with the dolphins. And essentially, I don't know how familiar you are with names in this ufological field, but there's another man named Michael Sala, who I don't know if he still does, but he lived here at the time on this island. And he and his wife were charging big bucks to psychically call in the dolphins to swim with them. And Ted Rowe who's a free diver is like, that's nonsense. I'll bring anyone who wants to come for free. And they just have patterns of like swimming in to sleep or to eat at certain times. And you can be there for them. And, uh, I happened, I had a girlfriend at the time who had a work conference on, on another Island here, Oahu. I live on the main Island of Hawaii. Uh, so she invited me there and I just thought, okay, let's make a pit stop here. Meet Ted Rowe go swim with the dolphins. And I just fell in love with this place just immediately. And I knew that I had to move here at some point. And, um, 
so that point came. <laughs> it just eventually came where it was like overwhelming. I have to go. So the funny story is I'd already decided to go and I'd already packed up my stuff. I'd left New York. My sister was getting married. Um, this was 20 in 2012 in February. I was ready to go, but my mom said, listen, your sister's getting married. Why don't you in the Virgin islands or something, you know, wherever it was, it's like not Massachusetts where I was, you know, my mom lived. Uh, why don't I, I'll fly you out there, go to your sister's wedding and then you can go. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I was staying at my mom's. I had already packed up and left New York and I ended up having a dream that wasn't a dream, a dream that started off as a, just like a regular dream. But then this dolphin pops up. I'm in uh, Kealakekua Bay, which is the first place I went snorkeling with Ted Rowe and saw dolphins for the first time. So in the dream, I'm in Kealakekua Bay alone and this dolphin pops up in front of me and uh, starts talking to me in a very calm male American voice. <laughs> and at some point in the dream, I realized this isn't me talking to myself. Like it, the fact of this dolphin talking to me wakes me up and makes it a lucid dream, essentially, because uh, the, I don't remember what the original thing was the dolphin said, but in the dream, I'm thinking, oh, great. If I'm going to talk about this on Peritopia, I'm going to lose all credibility. This is going to sound like some new age woo woo stuff that this dolphin's talking to me. So I say to the dolphin, yeah, right. If you're, if you're real, then, you know, talking dolphins real, what else is real? Are mermaids real? And the dolphin says, what's a mermaid? And I say, it's like a half human, half fish. And the dolphin says, I have never encountered one in all of my travels. And that's when I thought like, that's what woke me up. Like, oh, this isn't me talking to myself in a dream. This is something else. So I just said, okay, you know, whatever this is, what do you, what do you need to tell me? And it showed me and explained to me that something huge doesn't say what, but says something huge is going to happen to the East coast of the United States and everyone's going to be migrating West. And when they get to the Midwest, they're going to want to stop, but they can't stop because things are so bad there. They're not going to be able to stop. So they're going to press on essentially into the West coast, into California. And it's going to get so clogged with people that the only available state in the union they're going to want to get to is Hawaii. But the grid's going to be down and they're not going to be able to do that. So you need to get here now. You need to plant your roots and do it. And I said to the dolphin in this dream, <laughs> but I already am. I'm just, I'm going to my sister's wedding. Like I'm already planning on coming there. I've got a ticket, you know, like, and it's like, no, you have to get here now. Now you don't understand. You've got to get here now. I'm like, well, I'm not breaking my plans to, you know, but okay, I hear you. <laughs> and that was it. That was basically the sort of warning dream. And I was wondering why it would matter. And when it said you've got to get here and plant roots, I knew that to mean not just um, in a community, like plant roots and get to know people, but literally also learn how to plant things, that things are going to get bad. The ships ain't going to be coming when I get here. Just kind of like what you said, what happens when the planes stop? Well, that might be something that happens. Who knows? In any event, uh, I'm while I was at my mom's for the, these just couple of months online, I met this woman who invited me to California to uh, to take care of me for as long as I wanted before I go to Hawaii. And 
I mean, I'll cut this story short and just say that she was a mess <laughs> of a person. And I thought this would not go well if I do this, but I'm a writer and the writer in me is like, you have to do this. You have to do, you have to make the worst decision ever. And then I thought like, oh, is this what the dolphin's talking about? Don't go to this place. Like, don't do this detour. Get here now. But yet and still, I'm a thick headed person. So I was like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what a dolphin wants me to do in a dream. So I decided I'm going to go. And ultimately, she pulled out at the last second and I ended up sleeping over in the San Diego airport <laughs> and then flying off to <laughs> flying off to Hawaii in the morning. So either way, she made the decision for me not to uh, take that detour. So I, here I am. <laughs> So do you think that the dreams, uh, your dreams are part of you or do, or do you think it's somebody speaking to you through dreams? I think in that case, it's somebody speaking to me. I think dreams are multi-leveled and I think the most obvious and apparent level is it's you speaking to you. Um, but I, I also think that there are these, well, I know that there are these cases of sort of visionary or whatever this is, communicative dreams. And this actually falls in line with something that had happened, I think, in 1999, which was not a dream, but was just me living in, in New York. Uh, and I had just, my head had just hit the pillow to go to sleep. I was still wide awake. And I felt this like crackling sensation in my upper nasal cavity and felt this explosion. And... Uh, I think with my eyes closed, I don't think open, um, there was this visual of like a an old Atari video game system, like green grid version of the earth. And the only thing that wasn't a bunch of green grid lines or outlines of continents was white at the top. So presumably snow or ice at the top. And it the earth was rotating. And when it rotated to what I perceived to be North America, uh, snow or ice or whatever, the white from the top came uh, right down over the eastern part of the continent. And that was it. Uh, vision over, it it left, the end. And, um, and it crackled. The vision crackled as though it were like literally somebody from the, from the 1980s trying to like uh, do some sort of technological visual to me in the future, which makes no sense. I know I'm just saying what it looked like, uh, but that was it. But that lines up, I guess, with the notion of something happening to the East coast and all of that. Um, this doesn't mean that this is true, but um, it's hard to ignore. It's quite clear when you wake up, when you've had a dream, if the dream was just uh, your brain processing your the day before, you know, if you had a stressful day, or if it's just a, um, a one of those, I call them a play dream, where you basically can just have an adventure. Uh, or if it's profound, if it's like a message. I mean, it, it's so clear when you wake up which one of them. It's easy to dismiss the other ones because uh, it's, it isn't, I'm never really confused about it. If it's like, oh, was that a message or was that a, just a... A strange dream, you know. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's clearly uh, something deeper going on than just a dream. Some dreams, you know, I'm sure you had that as well, like dreams you dreamt 20 years ago, you remember easily still. And then there's all those other dreams that were uh, were meaningless, you know, that you don't remember. But I find also with indigenous people where 
uh, many of the cultures, if you generalize, uh, take more, uh, have more respect for the dream. Rarely it's like, oh, don't worry about it, it's just a dream. It's more like, oh, what was, what was the dream? I mean, the dream is as important as the uh, awake life, you know? Right. Yeah, and that's the same with Hawaiian indigenous culture, too. In fact, they have whole, you know, here and and I'm sure in Australia, New Zealand, especially come to mind. I'm sure other places this is just what comes to mind. But, you know, they have what we would call sciences. They would not, but uh, of dreaming, you know, they've already explored all of these things and how to how to dream properly, how to go communicate with other beings or invite them in or, you know, all of that stuff. It's just that these things are still a mystery to us because we're disconnected. You know, we've disconnected from our, um, from our, well, from everything around us, from life to say, look, I'm here and I'm important and I'm the thing in charge, control, control, control. And then you look at those folks and you go, oh, that's magical thinking. Oh, that's superstition. That's savagery or whatever. And then we baby step toward it in our own culture, forget that we condemned everyone else who was already there and pretend like we're the adults in the room. And it's like, wow, we're really the two-year-olds in the room. Because most people, I think, and I do this as well, is like when, when it's time to go to bed, you don't really, I mean, you fall asleep because you're tired and you have to work the next day. So it's, there's no time to play around uh, or uh, maybe fall asleep in front of a film or something. Uh, but uh, uh, the times when you actually, all right, now I'm going to bed and I'm going to do these uh, uh trials and uh, or uh, do these experiments or try and achieve certain things you like consciously going to sleep uh, usually have great results uh, but um, uh, it's like uh, it's very tiring to be in the rat race and uh, you just want to go to sleep you know <clears throat> this is a huge problem and it was something that was brought to my attention like the other thing outside of the high strangeness stuff that brought me over to the quote-unquote let's put that in quotes spiritual uh, really, it's just about what we are, not about any deities or anything like that. Um, but I had had uh, essentially a cessation of the sense of self that led to this whole other <laughs> stuff, <laughs> Kundalini and whatever else. And then ultimately, this this uh, universal realization of myself as the universe and the universe as me. That sort of thing. And I remember talking to my friend uh, Paloma about it in the park one day. And like, you know, you become sort of fervent about like, this is what life is. This is what we are. And why aren't we waking up to this? And we all have to do this. Don't you understand? This is your life, man. And her response was like, well, but yeah, but but you have plenty of time to do that. Um, I think at that point I had lost my job, but been bought out by a landlord uh, because he wanted to rent our apartment for hire. So I had some money so I could just fart around for a while. And that was kind of her point is like, you can afford to do this right now. Other people have to work, have to raise families. They don't have time. And it's like, that was a real wake up call for me of like, right, that's right. I am privileged to be able to have spare moments where I can be silent. Even, you know, a lot of people don't even have that. And we certainly aren't a culture that trains anyone to be that, to do that. Um, so how are people to know themselves even? 
when they're just taught to focus on work, family, occupation, be occupied with stuff, be div- have a diversion when you're not occupied. And if it makes you feel bad, take a drug, watch this movie, whatever it is. Like that's how we're trained. So what are we to do except crumble eventually as a society, which uh, I think we're seeing now. But with the dreams, I also thought that uh, um, uh, had this feeling that, um, you know, like the best things in life are actually, you know, they're free. You know, you ha- it's the orgasm and the, the dreams. Because I've had so many dreams that were like the best virtual reality video game you could ever imagine where you could like, you know, to just make it seem like I didn't dream this, but just to give an example, like I was Luke Skywalker and I lived through the whole trilogy of the Star Wars films and did all of that. It's like an adventure, you know, it's like amazing, like all for free. Like when when I woke up, I was like, oh, that's, that was an amazing dream. What an experience. You know, it's for free, and uh, also and sex, of course, also for free. But um, uh, we spend so much time and effort and money on the, like all this other stuff to get entertainment when we have the two best ones for free. You know, and you could also add a third one, I guess. If you, I mean, like this self-induced psychedelic experience. You know, if you, I guess you could add that too. That's also free, I guess. But then you have to put in more of an effort. You know, like dance for 10 hours or something you have to do something but right well but here's the other thing like that's all true but uh it's also true that there is a state that we can be in or a stage of mind that we can be on where we're never bored we're never trying to fill ourselves with any sort of adventure or anything we're completely satiated and when i would talk to people about this when I was in this state uh, for a couple of years, uh, they would say, wow, that sounds boring. Cause I'm like, wow, I have no taste for movies anymore. I mean, this was part of the reason that I was fine to move to Hawaii is that when I was in New York, I was working toward being in like a writer in television or movies. Like this is what I wanted to do, but it went, it left me like all ambition left me. I didn't need music. I could listen to it, but it didn't do anything for me. Whereas before I needed music, I had to listen. You know, there's something about listening to the same best songs over and over again until you can't listen to them anymore. That just scratches that itch or something. I don't know, but I didn't need any of it. It is, it is as though you are completely satiated and whatever those good feelings are that you get from those things or from a good dream or from an orgasm, they're perpetually you. And so you don't need anything because I mean, that's just it. You don't, you're not searching for anything. You don't need anything. So there's also that, right? Like there is this, this even more pulled back perspective that I think we need to get to where we don't even need those things anymore. Yeah. But wouldn't that be like, um, uh, enlightenment? Uh, I mean, uh, then you would, uh, leave the rat race of, reincarnation or everything yeah i mean that's what it is so but so why aren't we doing that right (laughs) like like this is like we've had people tell us this (laughs) over and over who've gone through it and instead it's like we want to we want to take us with us when we go we don't understand the part about the death of self and so we want it to be about evolving us we want life to be about learning 
you know, uh, a lot of people do anyway. We want to create a belief system about it. We want to make us the center and the star as opposed to giving up the sense of self for the sake of doing so. And, you know, if you want to call it enlightenment or truth or whatever, that is your state of mind. So what do you think it is? Like, why aren't we doing that? Um, Because that's the ultimate growth. Yeah, maybe it's highly addictive because if you were to live in that state for 50 years, let's say, and you were completely in enlightened and you don't need anything and you just like uh, basically just energy existing. If you for some reason, after having done that for so long, if you for some reason just went back and just became as everybody else... I think that would be like, oh, wow, what an experience to be in a body and have a job. You know, like maybe that would be like. Well, no, that's me now. I mean, that is me now. Like I've had those, I've gone through these these experiences and that is where I am now. And it isn't like, oh, wow, isn't this great? It's like, oh, this sucks. Like all of this psychological baggage and stuff that I had completely gotten rid of wants to reattach itself like ghosts haunting you. But you can't because you already know the truth, right? So you're constantly like in the state of, uh, well, like for instance, so there are certain people <laughs> who are questioning like why I make jokes all the time. Why am I always so, uh, and is it a defense mechanism and all that? And like maybe, but part of it is in the heat of even an argument, you immediately see why it doesn't matter. And you're, so it's this constant going through the motions of living a life that doesn't matter. And yet there you are anyway, uh, but not chasing the other thing. Because if you were to chase the other thing and try to chase the so-called enlightenment thing that you're out of now, um, then that becomes another illusion. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's more a feeling of, at the same time, feeling stuck, but also realizing that you're not stuck. At the same time, you become a paradox. And um, it's not the most comfortable thing, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, the Buddha, when he went on his journeys to become the Buddha, you know, his, in, his uh, adventure to become enlightened, he, he abandoned his children because he had children to do this <clears throat> because he couldn't do it with them. And uh, I recently had children, uh, got children. I didn't have that before. And uh, when I did get children, I suddenly, because I never thought about it before, I thought, well, I could never do that now. Uh, so what, what, what the Buddha did when he left, he was a bit of an asshole to those children, you know, because like he abandoned them to for his own, even though he tried to become without ego, it was a bit egotistical of him even but i know also his 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 aim would be to liberate everybody so it's not ego in that sense but you know what i mean and uh, so i think uh, like maybe it's that uh, it's uh, um wh- when you have children you you become invested in reality more you know cuz you have to take care of them you know? yeah i didn't realize that about the buddha but that makes sense of something i i had a roommate whose father was a leader of a buddhist cult in canada and uh her mom was like this alleged spirit channeler um and 
he had abandoned the family and his excuse was, um, you know, something along the lines of how can you, it's okay to, you know, sacrifice the needs of the few for the needs of the many or, you know, whatever, some garbage like that. But that sounds like what the Buddha did and it was a Buddhist cult. So (laughs) if that's the Buddha's legacy, I don't want any part of that. I'll tell you that. I mean, really what I'm talking about in terms of the paradox, the paradox is you have an experience of not just seeing, not just understanding intellectually or seeing it in a vision, but of being uh, the absolute. And now you're back in relativity. And you can pretend, and I think this is where like a lot of these people who are so-called enlightened people or gurus or whatever go wrong uh, is that they haven't really dealt with their psychological baggage and they come back from having an experience of it, a taste of it, and they go, oh, that's reality. I'm a spiritual master and now I'm going to teach this and it becomes this this countdown to decay uh, and depravity because they're not real with the fact that they're not in the absolute space anymore. Um, but so I guess if, if I'm a testament to anything, it is to somebody who has been the absolute or, or self-identified as that and is now, you know, in relativity and knows it and is willing to say that, you know, to deal with that. But the dealing with it is that when things pop up in a relative way, like arguments and fights and things that make you feel bad, and even the fact of feeling bad, you know the absolute, which is this is all an illusion. This is all nonsense. You know that from being it, not just from having repeated it because you read it in a book or something. And that note, that that deep self-knowing, along with what's happening right now, which is the opposite of that, which is the relativity part, um, does create this sort of like uh, friction where all I can do is honestly look at lizards. <laughs> who are okay with sitting around on a rock all day and like that's their lives and go, you know what? Maybe it is okay if I am not this being of activity anymore. You know, (laughs) like maybe I do have to make peace with the fact that like uh, you don't have ambition, but you live in an ambitious world and it's okay to bow out in some way um, because hell lizards do it. Right. And, and they don't hate their lives. So I know I don't, I I sort of went off the path there for a second, but uh, Maybe somebody can make sense of that. Yeah, well, uh, um, yeah, you don't need to achieve much, but uh, I guess uh, if we circle back to, to uh, the positive thing with, with uh, the Buddhists, like if you, <coughs> uh, all you do, if, if you just show compassion and help others, you know, you might sit around all day, but if for some reason you see somebody that needs help you help them that's that's your job done for the day you know well but the thing is if you've screwed over your family and your kids and they grow up screwed up then what are you here for you know like are you really here to just say eh they're part of my life that that I don't identify with anymore so to hell with them i'm enlightened like that just doesn't that doesn't make sense i don't think he could make sense of that for me Maybe that's why he ate so much, uh, <laughs> like uh, as you do when you feel bad, you eat, and so because he was quite large. But yeah, so uh, uh, what is? Uh, are you working on any new book? No, I I just released uh, the last one uh, a number a few months ago. Um, so 
I'm I'm trying not to work on a new book. Let's put it that way. No, I'm concentrating more on uh, podcasting and I have a website, ourindoing.com, which deals with the spiritual stuff. And um, so I have a podcast on that, which is Our Undoing Radio. And on that podcast feed, um, I'm re-releasing all the old Paratopias. So I do Our Undoing Radio seasonally um, and then weekly forever I, until they're all released. I'm releasing all the old Paratopias also. So that's basically that and Dreamlander what I'm focusing on at the moment. Cool. So if people want to check this out, what were the websites again you said? Um, OurUndoing.com. And the other one is UnknownCountry.com. Well, uh, it was very nice talking to you, and I'll uh, post those links in the program notes as well. Yeah, and thanks for taking a chance and uh, reaching out to me. I appreciate it. Check out OurUndoing.com. And please support the podcast, leave a nice review on iTunes and Spotify, uh, share it in social media, tell your friends about it, or send me an email with uh, questions and suggestions, and you can do that through the official website. If you like this podcast, but want to feast your eyes as well as your ears, Perhaps you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Simply search Natural Born Alchemist channel on YouTube and it shall appear. Or click the link in the program notes of this episode. I put a lot of effort into the videos I make and hopefully you'll enjoy them. If you want to support me, please subscribe on YouTube and even better, leave a like or a nice comment. YouTube is severely lacking in nice comments, so with your help, let's change that. Anyway, I hope I will see you there. I'm aptly going to close with the traditional chant Okeahi Lohomakua, performed by Sonny Ching and Halau Namamu Upuanahulu. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I butchered those names completely. But uh, the performance speaks for itself. Freedom is in the mind. Okay, I hear the